Hi everyone, Lucy Kippist here. I'm the editor of Flying Solo and the host of this podcast, where we peek inside the everyday lives of our inspiring small business community. Delia McCabe is an ex-psychologist, neuroscientist and nutritionist with a PhD in the neurobiology of stress and nutrition. So when it comes to understanding how our brains respond to stress, Delia firmly believes that what we eat plays the biggest role in how we can feel better and more in control of a busy life. Delia joins the Flying Solo podcast today to share her considerable insights, and these will be particularly in regard to managing women's health and stress. Welcome to the podcast, Delia. Thank you, Lucy. I'm delighted to be here. You are a woman with a wealth of information at your fingertips. You have an incredible range of skills. I wanted to start by asking you what drew you to, I suppose, your career trajectory, because you started off in psychology and then you've had through to neuroscience and then on to nutrition. Can you give us a little bit of insight into what drew you to those things? With pleasure. Uh, I think it's kind of like, you know, you make one decision and then something comes up and you have an epiphany and then you move on. And I was doing my psychology master's and I was working with a group of um, school kids, some of whom were doing really well at school and some of whom were really underachievers. And I decided to give them a few questionnaires. And in one of the questionnaires, I had a little bit of extra space and I thought, well, let's just ask them what their favorite food was. And the difference between my control and my experimental group, that's the group of kids who were doing well at school and who were smart. And the group of kids, the experimental group who were doing poorly was truly amazing because all the kids that were battling loved junk food and the control group didn't. So I thought, wow, that's a very interesting distinction. And of course, there were other issues in, you know, related to it, psychological issues, but I thought that was a very clear distinction. So I decided to investigate the role of nutrition in brain function. And that basically shifted my entire focus, Lucy. So that's when I kind of like stopped wanting to be a talking therapist. Mm, That's really fascinating. I mean, the brain and gut connection is something that's been talked about a lot, particularly in the past couple of years. Is there a simple way to explain how and why this connection is so important? Well, firstly, I think it's important for us to know that we are not what we eat, we are what we absorb. And anything that interferes with absorption impacts the amount of nutrients that we have to use. So that could be the kind of food we're eating, that can be the stress that we're under, and all of that does, it causes inflammation in the gut. And when the gut is inflamed, it affects the bacterial count in the gut. So the bacterial count shifts and we have more proliferation of bad bacteria and less of good. And the other thing it does, it impacts the integrity of the gut lining, which then impacts the gut's ability to keep toxins out of the bloodstream. Now, the brain also has a barrier called the blood-brain barrier. And exactly the same kind of mechanisms that influence gut integrity impact the blood-brain barrier. So when the toxins cross the, the, the gut a membrane into the bloodstream that shouldn't cross, um, the same mechanism works for the blood-brain barrier. And that's kind of like as simple as possible. Um, mm. And inflammation drives it all, Lucy. So it's the food, it's the stress we're under, it's our lifestyle choices. All of that will affect gut, blood-brain barrier, and then what goes into our brain. Yeah, that's a really um, important thought there, isn't it? Because it's, it's one thing to think about, you know, if you are eating a healthy diet, but it is actually so key as to what you say there about how you're absorbing it. And it's your lifestyle that's having an impact on your ability to do that. Absolutely. Um, a little bit of um, insight into some recent research showed that when we sleep deprived, the bacteria in our gut actually change 
um, <laughs> percentage. And what happens is that even one night of sleep deprivation, which they found um, in people with uh, jet lag, made the gut bacteria change. So can you imagine what months of not sleeping properly does to our poor gut? Mm, yeah, fascinating to hear it explained like that. Um, now, our discussion today is mostly going to be around women. That's your area of um, expertise. And also in terms of our audience here at Flying Solo, it's certainly the demographic that is growing the most. We have about 60% female um, membership at Flying Solo. With that in mind, I was just interested to know what you can tell us about how females respond to stress specifically. How much of our stress levels can or should be put down to our hormones? Okay, this is an interesting discussion and it often makes people go, wow, I never knew that. So the first thing to say is that, you know, the male and the female brain are much more similar than they are different. But where our brains are different are very noticeable. And, you know, one of those areas is hormones because over a lifetime, and just over a month, our hormones um, fluctuate significantly more than men's hormones. So that's the first thing to keep in mind in relation to hormones. And then over a lifetime, they also shift differently because men go into a declining hormone over a 20-year period where women get into menopause and it's kind of like a fall off the cliff situation. Now, how that influences brain function, I'll give you a simple example because this is a quite a complex topic. The most important thing to keep in mind is that our hormones have intricate dances with our neurotransmitters. And estrogen, for example, has a beautiful dance with serotonin. So when our estrogen levels drop, our serotonin synthesis is impacted. So that's why when women are going through hormone fluctuations, they'll notice that their appetite shifts. Anyone, you know, think about chocolate craving and carb craving. Um, the other thing that happens is that we maybe feel a little down, a little blue, a little depressed, and that's to do with serotonin as well. And then our sleep isn't as great. So just in that one little nutshell, we can see that estrogen fluctuation impacts the brain directly. Now, when we're very stressed, our hormones are also affected and so are our neurotransmitters. So then there's an intimate dance between the stress hormones our um, reproductive hormones and the neurotransmitters. So it's complex, but it's very important to understand and to work on trying to keep a balance in that area. Yeah. And that was going to be my next question, actually. Um, if we're not currently really mindful of how our hormones are working, how do we actually start being mindful about that in a sort of simple way? Well, I think the first thing that I suggest to, to clients is to keep a journal. That's the first step. And just you know, monitor your hormonal fluctuations over maybe a two-month period just to get an idea and see if there's a pattern. The other thing to do is if, if anyone wants to dive in deeper, it's not really challenging to get blood and saliva levels done of hormones. And when you look at that, you can see where you're seriously deficient and where the shifts need to take place. So those are the two things that I suggest. But journaling is a, is a very good first step because you may notice after a very stressful event or a stressful period, um, you know, your hormones may shift and you may notice that just because of um, the way you feel, your sleep and so on, or it may be actually more direct where your cycle shifts. So I think it's important to have that, that knowledge, you know, going in before you go and check, check the bloods and saliva. Mm. Okay. So we also know about our audience that, well, uh, you know, over half of us are women, we're also parents juggling, running a business and looking after a family. So this can often mean life is very often or feels like a bit of a push and a pull scenario. What 
are some optimum foods for handling our hormones and our stress when we are women running businesses and taking care of a family? Okay, this is also a long discussion, but just to break it down really simply, one of the things we need to do is eat a lot of fresh fresh food and things like lots of veggies, um, fruit, nuts and seeds. Make sure we have the, a, a good percentage of essential fatty acids, which is critical, not just for hormones, but also for brain function, because 60% of the dry weight of the brain is made up of fat. So that's very important. Um, Also not to eat on the run. You know, when we eat on the run, we're adding to our stress level. So make sure that when we eat, we're actually paying attention to our food and being able to chew it properly. Because I'm finding that more and more women are complaining about having, you know, digestive challenges and belly bloat. And one of the reasons that happens is because we're eating when we're not calm. So as far as the composition of food goes, you know, as untampered with as possible, as fresh and and natural as possible, and then just using really great sauces and great fats and oils and spices to, to make that food even more tasty. Okay. And are there any sort of ideal supplements that can help us um, keep, you know, keep on top of that as well, assuming that there is a sort of one size fits all mentality, which there's probably not. (laughs) It's a great question, Lucy. And it's also a challenging one because there's not a lot of evidence to support a lot of nutrients um, to support stress. And that's part of what my PhD was, was about. So that was a challenging issue to discover that there wasn't a lot of evidence, but magnesium is something that we use a lot of. It's involved in over 300 different enzyme reactions in the body. So supplementing with magnesium is a good idea and um, magnesium gluconate and citrate have got good evidence behind them. And then something like vitamin C, a natural form of vitamin C, because we've got 15 times more vitamin C in our adrenal glands and our brain than in any other body tissue. So when we run short on vitamin C, that's when our immune system can can get into trouble because the brain and the adrenal glands don't want to share their vitamin C with the immune system. So those are two nutrients that are really important. And of course, once again, the essential fats. Mm. And in terms of purchasing those supplements, there's such an enormous range of brands now, you know, creating these things is there is one brand better than the other is there anything we need to be looking out for to make sure that 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 they have integrity well there's one um overriding rule that i use and i explain that to people is that uh, a liquid is better than a powder is better than a um, veggie cap is better than a tablet so if we look at it on a continuum simply because tablets have a lot more um, components in them to make sure that the dietary supplement manufacturers machines don't clog up and one of the things they add to tablets is a, a kind of a fat and they call that magnesium stearate and all sorts of different names and that fat may not be great for our gut lining in fact it may impact absorption so i prefer a capsule or otherwise a powder or a liquid if possible in in that order so that's an overriding um, you know, framework to use when choosing supplements. But it is a real minefield in choosing them, Lucy. And I'm actually working on a document at the moment, um, like a report to explain what the best supplements are. And it's taking me ages to do because as I add, <laughs> a new one comes onto the market. So it's a bit of a challenge. Yeah, so that was the liquid is the is the first choice if, where possible. Absolutely. But mostly you get a good powder and you also get good... Um, capsules so you have a veggie cap and then the nutrient is inside the veggie cap and mostly those supplements are are pretty good i use a vitamin c supplement that i actually make up myself from three separate supplements and i mix that up and that's actually in a powder form and that's what i have a few times during the day so i've figured out my own kind of like workarounds because of that 
mm-hmm. um, because of the challenge in, in the quality and the challenge in the amounts of the, the, the nutrients that you actually want in the compound. Because for example, with vitamin C, can you just imagine eating an orange? You're getting the orange, you're getting your, the fiber, you're getting bioflavonoids, you're getting a whole lot of other things besides just the vitamin C. So when you have a tablet with just the vitamin C in it, you don't have necessarily all the other components. So yeah. I've found some powders that do contain those components and then I mix them up together. Okay. And do you think there's any diet that couldn't benefit from a supplement? I think today it's very hard to find an ideal diet that couldn't benefit. And there are two main reasons for this. Firstly, that you know we, our food, well, actually three reasons. Um, our food is not as fresh as it used to be. So the the traveling miles do affect the nutrient content. Um, The second thing is that the soil is often deficient in the nutrients that it needs. And if the soil doesn't have it, the the produce doesn't get it, and then we don't get it. And the third one is our stress is really out of control and the body uses up an enormous amount of more nutrients when we're stressed. So I think it would be very unusual for someone to have a diet that was so phenomenal that they didn't need some very specific supplements for. Mm-hmm. Now, um, you wrote an article for Flying Solo a couple of weeks ago now, it was probably actually a month or so ago now, um, about, you know, the right foods to eat for stress. And it, within that discussion was a mention of, you know, what happens when you crave sugar at a particular time in, in the day and what that means in terms of your diet. I just wondered if you could speak a little bit to that here as well, because I know that's something that, you know, impacts a lot of um, the audience that we're speaking to at the moment. What how do we sort of circumvent that habit? I think the first thing to do is to make sure that your breakfast contains all the important macro and micronutrients, because when you do that, you've got a greater chance of keeping your blood glucose stable. That's the first thing. The second thing is, is to question whether caffeine is serving you or you serving caffeine, (laughs) because when you consume coffee due to the particular biochemistry that it incites in the body, Um, It actually causes your blood glucose to have a big drop as well. And then the craving for something sweet and yummy obviously steps in. And the third thing to do, which I think is probably the easiest thing to do and the yummiest, is to make sure that you've got a nice treat to have when that sugar, you know, surge hits you and and you really want to to up your blood glucose. And one of my favorite go-tos is uh, a dried Turkish apricot stuffed with almond butter or stuffed with coconut butter. And that's a delicious uh, snack to have. And you can also just make yourself a green drink um, with a good organic uh, green powder. And that generally helps get your blood glucose stable again. It may take a while to get into the habit of doing this, Lucy, because as with the brain, you know, we build neural pathways. And when we get into an established way of um, you know, behaving under a certain circumstance, then it takes a while just to build a new neural pathway. And I try and teach clients how to do that over a period of time because it's very hard to wake up one day and instantly want the shift that is actually going to take a little bit of time to to get into action. But that's a, that, those are three things just to keep in mind. A really great breakfast, making sure you re-examine your relationship with coffee, especially late afternoon or mid-afternoon, and then making sure you've got a yummy treat that's got a lot of nutrients in it. Mm-hmm. Great tips. How much, um, you know, we, we hear a lot about regular exercise and how it's important. How much impact does that have if we're looking at the brain and the gut connection in terms of obviously it's going to help us manage our stress levels, which is going to limit that inflammation. Um, are there any other benefits to exercise in terms of helping us maintain control over this brain and gut 
connection? Well, in terms of the gut, exercise will have a, a, a roundabout effect. It won't be as, a, as direct, for example, as the food that you're eating. But yes, it does definitely stimulate uh, a use of the adrenaline and cortisol in exercise, which is great and helps the gut just move just in just just in in terms of us moving physically but the other thing that exercise does which is a really important thing it stimulates something called brain derived neurotropic factor synthesis and bdnf is very important for keeping our mood stable and for helping us be in a good mood so exercise stimulates that and the spin on effect of that is that our parasympathetic nervous system kicks into place more than our sympathetic nervous system. So we feel calmer and more relaxed instead of tense and stressed. And so that in effect also impacts our digestion because PNS supports optimal digestion, whereas SNS doesn't. So exercise is extremely important. And unfortunately, when people get very stressed, they don't feel like exercising, but it's a time when you actually need to exercise even more because of all those effects. Mm, definitely. And what about other activities we can do to sort of help us keep or keep ourselves in check in, in this regard? Um, alternative therapies like acupuncture, yoga, meditation, um, how can these elements sort of help us work together? Um, on our journey to better health and managing our stress? It's a great question, Lucy. And I think the best way to think about this is just to think about a, a seesaw. We can use a seesaw as an analogy. Throughout the day, our body, our central nervous system moves between SNS and PNS, that sympathetic nervous system stress and parasympathetic nervous system, which is rest and digest. Now, we should mostly be in PNS. So any activity we choose, yoga, meditation, acupuncture, um, any even laughter, laughter is a great one to get our PNS to be on the up and keep our SNS lower is great for us. So I suggest that any activity where people feel themselves calmer, they feel more in control, they can laugh, they experience joy and pleasure, all of those activities will keep that PNS in a more, um, in a raised position. And all of that helps us cope better with stress and helps calm down our brain. And then, of course, lowers inflammation. So the spin-on of, of that is all very, very important. And I don't know what different people would choose, but the, the way to know whether your choice is correct is when you're doing it, you feel a sense of calm and a sense of peace and a sense of control. That's the key. Mm, that's, yeah, that's a great point. And I guess um, in terms of closing up, if someone's listening to this now and they think, you know, what you're saying is making a lot of sense, which it does, what are maybe three things that we could start doing autumn, you know, pretty much tomorrow or this afternoon um, to make sure that we're making some positive changes, positive steps in this direction? Are there three simple things that we could start to do? I think I'll go back to breakfast again. I really think breakfast is an important thing to make a priority in our lives. And, you know, most women are really busy in the morning. So one of the things that they can do is just prep their breakfast the night before. You know, if they're prepping the, the children's lunch boxes and any of that, they just prep their breakfast and then, it, then it's to go because that has got a wonderful spin-on effect in terms of blood glucose, nutrient intake, and so on. The other thing that I think is important, Lucy, and I think this is, you know, speaking as a mother myself and as a wife and a person, you know, that's, you know, trying to make a change, positive change in the world. I think one of the things that we forget is to say no. Um, you know, we say yes a lot of the time for a number of different reasons, you know, psychological reasons and, and all sorts of things. And I think learning to say no is very important for us as women. We need to say, no, this doesn't suit me now. Can I get back to you? No, this doesn't fit in with my week schedule. I'll get back to you when I can next week. This is something that can immediately start to lower our stress level. And I think women need to practice saying no more often. 
That's, that's extremely mm-hmm. important. Mm-hmm. And the third thing is, you know, getting more sleep is extremely important. And, and we normally put ourselves last, you know, we put everyone else first and sleep when we eventually fall into bed, may be too late. So I often suggest to people just start off by going to bed five minutes earlier and then the next night make it 10 minutes earlier and 15 minutes earlier until you're in the habit of going to bed with enough leeway to give yourself a good solid sleep. And I think those are three simple ways, you know, make sure breakfast a priority, learn to say no and make sleep a priority as well. Great um, suggestions. And presumably one thing helps to um, support the other thing in, in, in terms of those suggestions as well with, with more sleep, you're just making better decisions altogether everywhere in your life. Absolutely. That's the wonderful thing about making change you know, on a number of different levels, because if I just spoke about food, you know, it's not always only the food <laughs> learning to say no helps a lot and helps you feel more in control and that helps your brain feel like I can actually cope better and of course the sleep helps with everything so I think yeah multifaceted approach is the best way to handle the way we're living today and that goes for both genders absolutely um Delia you have you're the author of several books um I wondered if you wanted to tell us a little bit about um your most recent book before we go um could you remind us of the title as well yes I wrote a recipe book to accompany my um sciencey book which was which is called um, Feed Your Brain, the cookbook. And uh, it's got a load of really yummy recipes in it because I don't believe in deprivation. And I give a lot of pointers there about prepping because I think that meal prep really saves us an enormous amount of time and effort during the week. So I've got a lot of that in there and I've got really nice recipes and I also make make sure that they're seasonal. So you don't have to have exactly the right ingredients because very seldom do people have that. I don't know anyone who has exactly the right ingredients unless they're a chef. So I made sure that the recipes can be flexible. Delia, um, you're a wealth of information and I'd love to have you back on the show again to flesh some more of these things out, but that's a fantastic overview. Thank you so much for sharing all of that with us today. Such a pleasure, Lucy. Thank you.